Support for The Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, February 20th, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Earlier this month, we talked about recreational vehicles, or RVs, learning about Thor Industries in Winnebago in our first show of 2018, dedicated to travel and leisure. So today, we're going to continue our coverage of that sector, but this time, our focus will turn to the sea. And the three major cruise operators, those are Carnival, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian Cruise Line. Joining me for this discussion in the Full HQ studio is Molly Fool contributor Dan Klein. Hey, Dan. Good to see you again so soon. Hey, Vince. How are you? You've, uh, you're back three weeks later in Fre- studio with us? Fresh off a cruise as well. There you go. You have some uh, some recent first-hand experience to speak to us for this. Uh, to get our conversation started, I think it's important that investors that are new to this industry, this business, they understand some big-picture things about the industry. And Dan, feel free to chime in as I walk through some of these numbers here. It's really interesting, actually. So, first, I'm going to give some scale. So, the global ocean cruise fleet, I could find, it's 310 ships with capacity with capacity for about 540,000 passengers, and that number is growing as new ships come online. Uh, there is actually an estimated 90 new ships that will be delivered between now and 2025, and that totals an investment of 55 billion dollars. It's also important to remember that that doesn't always raise the total. That yes. ships do come out of circulation. Absolutely. So uh, some of our operators, for example, will retire about one or two ships a year as they bring in new ones. And ships. Generally, move down the line. So the the three major companies we're talking about today will buy a ship, use it for its lifespan, sell it to one of the smaller companies or regional operators, and then eventually it will come off the sea completely. Yep. So the scale again of that capacity with over 300 ships, 540,000 passengers. It sounds pretty impressive, but you have to keep in mind that cruising only represents a small portion of the global travel and leisure industry. So I had various sources value global annual bookings in this industry um, for total travel and leisure at $1.2 trillion. But the cruise industry revenue last year was only $38 billion, so it's only about 3% of the total. And by com- comparison, commercial airlines account for closer to $800 billion of travel spending. So, it's quite, uh, it's you can consider a niche within the sector. You also very rarely take a cruise to get to a business meeting. Yes, that's very <laughs> fair. So, uh, overall, the cruises are becoming more popular worldwide. Um, they're seeing strong growth rates. So, average annual passenger growth uh, since 1980 has been about 7%. And if we go back only 10 years, it's been about 4.5%. A lot of that coming from uh, newer developing markets like Asia. And so, the second thing I want to focus on beyond scale is who the customer is in this industry, because uh, there's definitely a concentration of them here in the US. So, in this corner of travel and leisure, there are a over a thousand port cities. Um, there are destinations across dozens of countries. I think cruises will stop in every single continent. Um, but the US consumer is by far the leader in terms of cruise travel. So the cruise industry only started to resemble its current state once uh, cruises became more popular in the North American market. So a few decades later, US cruise travelers number about 11.5 million in a year. And the next three largest markets, which are Germany, 
the UK and China, they each account for only about 2 million, and that is out of about 26 million passengers annually. Um, so it's generally it's a mature market in the US. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's growth potential. Yes, absolutely, and we'll get to that. <laughs> and I won't say it now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the point I wanted to make on that is. Close to you, Dan, Port of Miami is the largest cruise port in the world. Uh, they handle about 5 million passengers each year. And because of the concentration uh, of the popularity in the US, the most popular port destination in the world is not too far away. It's the Caribbean and the Bahamas, which make up one third of all cruise capacity each year, while the Mediterranean, which is the next biggest destination, makes up 15%. I was pretty surprised by that. Well, the Caribbean is sort of a starter cruise. That's mm-hmm. that's where I went. I went in a family cruise. And it's a very you can have a short itinerary. You can do a three day, a four day. We did a six day. And it doesn't take much. You don't even need a passport when you get off in most of the countries. So the first cruise you go on, and the industry sort of knows this, is almost like where you get your your sea legs. You figure out how it works, you understand how the ship is, what the ports are like, and then they're more likely to sell you on a more exotic destination. Absolutely. And management speaks to that about how the Caribbean and the Bahamas, for example, um, they feel like a safer destination for the U.S. consumer. It's close by, and it's much more accessible in that way. And, and there's nothing particularly adventurous about it. Uh, most of those itineraries include a day at like a private beach, where mm-hmm. it's just very simple. You get off yep. the boat, there's a barbecue, there's a beach. You know, you're not exploring ancient ruins. The excursions are not anything, you know, Particularly daring, maybe a zip line or a hotel pool or something, uh, but it really does. If you'd never been to to a big resort or a theme park before, to go to one for a couple of days, you're probably going to have a better experience the next time. And the industry is absolutely understanding that sort of one cruise is the gateway to another. Yep. All right. So the third thing I wanted to talk to in terms of high level uh, takeaways is the long term potential for this industry. So even Though the U.S. has a relatively high penetration, um, two thirds of Americans have actually never been on a cruise, which also surprised me. So only 3.5 percent of uh, U.S. consumers will travel on cruises annually, and that number drops to less than two percent for Europeans. And again, the opportunity for Asia again 0.1 percent for that region. So you, as you can imagine, with the with the low number in Asia, that market in China especially is a big opportunity for these companies, and I, it gets mentioned in just about every single earnings call, industry outlook, and financial report that I could find. So the last thing I want to touch on are some of the more specific industry dynamics and things to know uh, about how management teams plan out each year. And a big part of that is seasonality, if you could uh, touch on that, Dan. So basically, we're in the heart of the booking season. Yes. Uh, they call it the wave season. Mm-hmm. It's it's not an official period, but it's it's roughly three months, where the goal is to fill the ships at the best price possible. For a consumer, that tends to mean maybe a little higher than you'd get at the last minute, but you get the most perks, usually, if you book early. So, everything is about taking that boat and going, okay, seven months from now, 12 months from now, whatever it is, it varies a little bit, up to maybe about 18 months. We're at 60% capacity before anything has happened. We've, or whatever, you know, wherever the profitability number is, we've sort of broke even. And then they work their magic. Then mm-hmm. you start to get, okay, Dan has booked and he's booked the cheapest possible cabin. For an extra $5 a day, do you want the next best cabin? Because that will free up a low price cabin, which they can then market. Yes. Or maybe. You know, it's all the balconies have sold out, so they upmarket you a suite. It's a very intricate dance that starts 
in this season, and they they push very hard because they have to plan. You know, you can't build a cruise ship in in a day, so you have to. In fact, you can't build one in six months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, but they can't. Um, so they have to figure out what their capacity is going to be, and if they have a, you know specific cruise lines, you know, a, a, a seven day trip that's not selling. They could cancel that trip. They could move the capacity elsewhere. They could reposition the ship. There's a lot of different ways. So it's a very far thinking industry. Yeah. I will add to that that right now, the first three months of the year, that wave season that a lot of uh, management teams will speak to is the heavy booking season. And the people who are booking trips, uh, the busiest time of the year, obviously, it's dictated by. The summer months in the northern hemisphere, they account for by far the most demand, the best ticket prices that these companies can uh, can get, and also the largest share of their operating income coming from this period. And they also use a very smart strategy. We talked about this a little bit before, but if you're booking a Walt Disney World vacation, mm-hmm. you generally have to pay for it. You have to buy your airline tickets. Maybe you don't pay for the hotel all at once, but you, you order your Disney tickets. You're paying for that within a couple of weeks for all three pieces of it, or all at once. Mm-hmm. What the cruise lines do, specifically at the, the more mass market cruises, is this time of year, they let you book with a low deposit. Get my reservation. So it so it locks you in. Maybe it's it's one hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred dollars a person. Maybe at a, a low level cabin, you're getting fifty dollars in onboard credit or, or free something sure. for doing that. And then you can pay as you go. The brilliance of this is, by the time you get to the cruise, of course, you've paid it off, and you never wrote a big check. You you most likely paid it off in little chunks, which makes you feel freer when you get there. About your ability to spend money, and so then maybe you book some excursions, maybe you buy more drinks, maybe you upsell a restaurant. It's a very smart strategy where at no point, if you want to do it this way, do you ever like feel the pain of oh my god, I just spent two thousand dollars on a vacation. Sure, sure. All right. So the last thing I'll get into in terms of high level stuff for the industry before we start looking at those three companies, um, if you're an investor, you. With these stocks, you're gonna and with these companies, you're gonna be able to compare the common financial metrics that we talk about, things like revenue and earnings growth, what their margins are like, uh, what their return on invested capital is. But the big number that the industry monitors is revenue yield or revenue per available passenger cruise day. Different companies call it different things, right. but ultimately, what this tells us is how much the company's making. Across its fleet, given the availability of rooms on each ship and then the length of the cruising season for that ship. And so, with that background, uh, we're going to look at some of the actual players now. So, for our purposes, the three companies that really matter here are Carnival, ticker CCL, Royal Caribbean, ticker RCL, and Norwegian Cruise Line, ticker NCLH, uh, because together they claim over 80% of the market share in this industry. Um, so, it's pretty impressive. Um, let's start with Carnival. It's important to know, too, that Carnival is the big boy. Yes. Um, by passenger total, not by revenue, Carnival has about half of the total cruising market. Yes. Uh, so, 50% market share by passengers, as you mentioned, 12.1 million that they handled in 2017. And they have by far the largest fleet, too, over 100 ships. Their passenger capacity is about 230,000, which is really cool. Uh, they operate a number of different cruise lines in their portfolio. So, in addition to their namesake Carnival uh, line, they have Princess, Costa, and additional uh, cruise lines that will target um, specific geographies, usually. So, Carnival, for example, operates almost entirely out of U.S. home ports. Costa leads in Italy, 
France and Spain, Aida for Germany. So the company had $17.5 billion of revenue in 2017. And for this industry, you'll see their net income margins, for example, come usually around 15 to 20%. And they these companies spend a ton of money in their capex building out new ships, but they also generate a ton of cash. Uh, Carnival, for example, last year had free cash for $1.5 billion, and that was after $3 billion of capex spending on the uh, on their investments in current ships and new ones. And the return on investment in a new ship is quick. Uh, much like you know, when a, a new hotel opens at a theme park, is pretty much the same. People want to stay there. So when a new carnival ship, especially the the biggest classes that have new amenities, absolutely, they will sell out faster at higher prices. So you might hurt yourself down the line in taking away some what would have been lower paying business from older ships. But in general, there is a, a huge push when a new ship comes out. Mm-hmm. So that metric that I mentioned, the revenue yield, so the gross revenue revenue yield. For this company is growing, and I, and I should also mention that 2017 was a very strong year for the industry overall. Um, so, to give you an idea of what they're dealing with here, uh, their gross revenue yield hit about $210 in 2017, so it's up 3.9 percent. And keep in mind, in terms of the revenue breakdown for these companies, their uh, ticket. Uh, passenger ticket revenue usually makes up about 75-80% of the top line, and then everything else is the onboard, uh, the extra pass for the bar. It's a little higher the for, for Carnival, because like the, the ticket prices tend to be lower, so the, the mix, the onboard, mm-hmm. is a little bit more important. And then, something else to note um, uh, that I thought was just really kind of like jaw-dropping, is as of November 30th, the company has 18 cruise ships on schedule for delivery between 2018 and 22. So that adds for them passenger capacity of over 72,000. That's not net because, as you mentioned, some older ships will drop out of the fleet in that time. Um, but uh, the thing that I've seen with Carnival and also the other cruise operators too is they say outright that their largest long term growth opportunity period is the Chinese market. And Australia and Asia accounted for only 15% of their revenue last year, so there's still quite a bit of an opportunity there. It, there's absolutely a risk of having too much capacity. Um, you know, and just because ships are ordered, there are points where they could be canceled. So, mm-hmm. so yes, they have their long-range plans. But the other thing we didn't mention about the past year, which was very strong, and it sort of speaks to the revenue model, is we had a terrible hurricane season. Yes, that's true. And the hurricanes devastated many of the traditional ports. And one of the nice things about the revenue model is I booked a cruise Eight months ago, let's pretend I did. Sure. And the hurricane season happens, and we were supposed to stop in Nassau. Well, the port in Nassau was destroyed. It wasn't, but let's pretend it was. Sure. That gives the cruise line, they already have your money. You're already booked. Maybe you have travel insurance. Maybe you paid for the ability to cancel. But they don't cancel that cruise. They change where the cruise is going. And they have a period of time to market, hey, just because this happened doesn't mean we won't we aren't cruising doesn't mean you you won't still have fun so they they have a little bit more call it long term flexibility if a if a theme park loses a week due to a hurricane there's kind of no way to make that up but with the cruise ships they can they, they don't sail through hurricanes they they move them around so they don't get hit they can change itineraries they can market to you hey i know you're not going where you think you were going but it's still going to work for you and that is something that i think appeals to a lot of people who invest in 
these uh, crew stocks is because there is that stability uh, in their business model. They can fix a mistake. So they have that seasonality, uh, and there's going to be lumps there, obviously, in terms of the demand with the seasons. But we haven't really seen a big downturn for this industry since uh, the financial crisis, and it's really a and actually they were they were very resolved. Three of these companies, though they didn't look like they do do now, mm-hmm. were very resilient during the crash. Partly because there's a certainty to the price you're paying, at least in your head, mm-hmm. and people were booked before their stocks tanked. So they will, uh, they'll take their blows for sure when there's a broader economic downturn. But overall, these are also keep in mind that these companies they also uh, with Carnival Royal Caribbean they return lots of capital to their shareholders. Uh, the company pays. Uh, I believe a 2.5% dividend or so, and they repurchased 63 million shares, about $3.1 billion since late 2015. So, just in the past couple of years, um, and they're operating with a very reasonable payout ratio. So, that's not something that is really at risk. Again, I think that's something that appeals for uh, to the investors that like that more stable business. Um, otherwise, uh, before we look at the comparable operations and details for Royal Caribbean in Norwegian, I want to talk about something. Uh, that a lot of the operators are investing in, and that's the kind of integration of technology on these ships. And hopefully, you can speak to that from your recent experience. Absolutely. But Carnival, they have something called the Ocean Experience. Um, they've been uh, rolling that out very recently um, with a medallion. It has, it's Bluetooth enabled. It offers things like streamlined boarding to get rid of pain points in the vacation process, like waiting in line, uh, keyless access. They offer uh, they offer guides to the different activities that are happening on board. You can stay in contact with your fellow travelers. Last time I was on a cruise, this stuff wasn't really available. What was it like? And we're sort of at a midpoint now. So Carnival is just rolling out the new technology. When you're on a cruise, everything is based on your key. Mm-hmm. Your key is your ability to get to buy a drink at the bar. To you could take an advance at the casino if you want. Whatever you're going to do on board. So on a cruise ship now, you get your key, which I wore in a dumb-looking lanyard around my neck because <laughs> and you're wearing it in the pool. You're wearing it because you don't want to lose it. It's you know a long line to get a new one. And most of the cruise lines now, Carnival certainly have an app. When you're on board, the days where you have to wait for like a paper newspaper to tell you what's happening tomorrow, that's gone. You can look at the whole itinerary for the trip. You could see that, hey, there's sports trivia three days from now, and I want to go. And one of the dinner choices tonight is uh, venison. And I, boy, I'd like to try that. So I'll go to the dining room. And you can communicate. We talked about this before. For a small, for a $5 additional fee on Carnival, and everything seemingly is an additional fee, you can have a, a, a ship based chat app. That lets you keep in contact with your group. So your your phone's just in in airplane mode, uh, on the the ship Wi-Fi, and you know I could send you a text message. Hey, meet me at the pool. Meet me at this bar, and it takes away a major pain point for especially parents who are traveling with children. Mm-hmm. You know, my son could be at you know getting a pizza at two in the morning, and I would have some sense of where he was, <laughs> or at least could ping him, and that happened. <laughs> so okay. Support for The Molly Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to quickenloans.com fool. That's quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS consumeraccess.org number 3030. All right. So 
Going to the other two players now, smaller, but still the dominant ones in this industry. First, we have Royal Caribbean. So they're the second largest cruise operator. They have owned and partner brands that combine for 49 ships and capacity of about 123,000 passengers. Uh, Royal Caribbean, I think, is notable in their fleet because they have some of the biggest ships. Uh, their largest ones can accommodate over 5,000 passengers. And I was looking at the list of largest cruise ships in the world, and I think something like the top five out of six, for example, are all Royal Caribbean. Uh, line. They're pushing the boundaries with uh, things like ice skating rinks and rock climbing walls, in addition to like water parks on board. I, yep. We parked next to one or berthed next to one, and it was really impressive to look at. Sure. So, Royal Caribbean, uh, I mentioned some of those owned and partner brands. They have their namesake, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, and Asmara Club Cruises. And they also partner with uh, in Germany and in Spain and in China with some other companies as well. So, Again, to give you a sense of how confident right now management teams seem to be in terms of growth for this industry and the uh, increased capacity that they want to be able to deliver, they have nine ships that are expected to be delivered between 2018 and 2022. And that would add over 30,000 passenger capacity to their fleet, not net, again, because they're going to retire some uh, older ships most likely. Uh, the metric that we've been talking about, the revenue yield, for this, for Royal Caribbean was incredibly strong in 2017. They've been laser focused mm-hmm. on for, since 2014 on uh, doubling their their return on invested capital and doubling their earnings per yep. share. That that's sort of been all they talk about in every earnings the call. The double double, yeah. And they've reached it. Mm-hmm. So that revenue yield number uh, was up 5.9% in 2017. This was their eighth consecutive year of yield growth. So pr- very impressive. And then with that double double milestone that they reached. Uh, the company is granting equity bonuses to all of its employees, uh, except corporate officers, that equal about 5% annual salary. So, it's just interesting uh, to, to follow. And something else I noted is these uh, the companies will also calculate, on the flip side, they'll also calculate their cost yields. And so, for example, here, uh, while their revenue yields was were up, uh, like I said, about 5.9%, really strong growth, cost yields were only up about 2%. So, profitability for... the Royal Caribbean has been really strong. Their gross and net income margins were up over three percentage points each uh, in 2017. And again, dividend payer, very manageable payout ratio. They've repurchased about $1 billion of stock since 2014. And that actual raw gross yield number um, was about $237 last year compared to $200 for Carnival. And we're going to see for this last company we're going to talk about, Norwegian, how it goes up due to their bit more of a focus on a premium clientele, premium experience. So, the last one Norwegian Cruise Lines, $5.3 billion revenue in the trailing 12 month period. So, the smaller of the three. And about 25 boats. So, yep, 25 ships. So, a quarter the size of Carnival. 50,000 berths or <laughs> passenger capacity. And the I wanted to hone in on a specific piece of their business recently, and they've been talking a lot about the Norwegian Joy recently. So this is uh, a recent ship that was delivered last year, and it caters specifically to the Chinese market. And a big part of the the ship that they've touted is, for example, uh, the technological again integration. Uh, this one zone with. Different gaming and uh, like virtual reality experiences and things like that really appeals to the consumers in that market. But I also thought it was really interesting. Management spoke to some uh, quirks, call it, with 
Chinese consumers that they're still kind of adjusting. It seems like all the operators are kind of uh, working to to adjust the business model to this. The technology we should also talk about. It isn't just for customer enjoyment. Sure, there's an analytics aspect. To yes, it. absolutely. So. What they're sort of figuring out in the U.S. market, they have a long history of when a person who looks like me traveling with with one child and a family group, they know what I'm going to spend. They know what I'm probably going to do. They have to figure that out. But the technology makes it faster. They can see, hey, Dan browsed this uh, excursion, but he didn't buy it. And then if they're light on that excursion the next day, maybe I get a coupon. Yes. Maybe I get a deal. So they're going to come up to speed in China a lot faster than they've come up to speed in other markets. And the and the analytics aspect of it is really big. As they uh, as they uh, serve more passengers in that market, they learn more about the consumer. But a few things that they've noted: higher food costs. So uh, the Chinese cruise passengers love to eat, and that's a that they've noticed a little bit higher food costs in that region. But they've also been hurt in some ways because we're talking about that onboard revenue, usually around 25% of the top line for these companies. More of the revenue in the Chinese market is coming from shopping and less of it is coming from excursions. They're not as interested in those port excursions and that's hurting some of the profitability. And some of it is just cultural. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've seen things like pay-per-view have not worked in the Chinese market Mm because there's not a history of paying for add-ons. That's sort of the same things the cruise ships have to figure out. And they might have to do things like, okay, the price is going to be higher, but this add-on is now included. And you do see that in the U.S. market, where you could pay twice as much for a cruise, but it's all you can drink and the internet is thrown in. So it really is just getting that data and sort of tweaking it to hit sort of how you price, whether it's onboard revenue or ticketing revenue. Yep. All right. Last point then. Uh, you know, Carnival gross deal two hundred bucks. Uh, Royal Caribbean around two thirty. Norwegian about three hundred dollars. Um, so take from that what you will in terms of how that they target the different and it's uh, it speaks to ticket price. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's basically the order of low end, medium end, high end in sure. the industry. All right, so I want to end now uh, just a couple more minutes talking about some of the uh, the strengths I, that I really uh, speak to to kind of the stability and and how favorable it is the operating conditions for the top three companies here in cruising. Because if there's any industry out there um, with high barriers to entry, I think this is definitely <laughs> one. Considering a new ship can cost, you know, half a billion dollars to build. And there's not only that in terms of if you even if you have the money to build the ship, there's a very limited ship building industry that can uh, put together these massive ships and they operate at capacity with commitments with the major operators right. for years and years. So it's really tough to even get your name into the queue, essentially. Which is why ships get cycled down the line. Mm-hmm. And then something else is just the logistics involved in operating a cruise line. It Going through the uh, annual report for these companies, it is fascinating to see all the different things that they have to keep in mind in terms of building the ship, the food and services on board, safety regulations, staffing, finding ports, the marketing. It is it is jaw dropping how much uh, complexity there in there is in the logistics, and again another barrier to entry, and why it's very favorable to be a carnival, for example, with fifty percent market share in the space. And overall, I think travel and leisure is definitely positioned to benefit uh, from the baby boomers who are looking to travel more, uh, Gen X and millennials. There might be some debate around this in terms of the appeal of cruising. 
but I mean, we were talking about this before the show. Yeah, so. cruising has a has a sort of reputation as being older folks. Um, and if you go on Princess or certain lines, that that's still what it's going to be. If you if you go now when kids are in school, of course there's going to be older folks. I went during Christmas vacation. It was yes, there were absolutely plenty of grandparents, but it was largely a family atmosphere. So really, for the industry. They're running a lot of two-day cruises to try to attract younger people, and you know they're very much booze cruises, and the and the goal, the goal <laughs> is to you know to to party. But the more you get people familiar with it, I don't see that it's it's you know we talked about this a little. I don't see that as they get older, that younger people aren't going to want to do it. You know, you, you every vacation can't be rock climbing once you get to sure. to fifty. Well, they say that. Millennials, especially, spending more money on experiences, less on material goods. That's definitely a benefit overall for travel. And a cruise is like a sample pack. Yes, you know, if if you go on a seven day, you know, cruise with you know a Caribbean destination, or my son and I are looking at a, a Cuba cruise this summer, you can go someplace, spend either just part of a day or sometimes an overnight, get a sense of what it's like. Yeah, and then decide if you want to take a vacation there. Yep, absolutely. So these management teams in the short. To midterm, you know, they're thinking about that seasonality that we talked about. They're talking about, uh, they're thinking about the ships that are going to be coming online soon. Um, there's always weather concerns with her- things like hurricane season, and then of course, fuel costs is always a big thing that these companies are, co- are thinking about too. But when it comes down to, I think, long term, they're really uh, all three of these companies are definitely in a position of strength, especially with the low penetration, even in the established markets like the U.S. But then how that can grow in Europe, and then of course. In China and in Asia, where you have this massively growing middle class, strong economy, you can also grow the market by adding ships to ports that previously were underserved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where I live in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, that is the hub of cruising in the U.S. People fly in to to hit all those destinations. There aren't actually that many cruises that leave from the West Coast, and you're starting to see companies target West Coast itineraries at least seasonally. So, you're going to see like you can cruise from Boston, New York, all sorts of different markets. When you take away the need to get in an airplane, in addition to getting to your cruise, right then and there, you've increased your market capacity. Because when I'm pricing out a vacation, if I have to take a family of three and add $1,000 in airfare, that might make a cruise not viable. So when they open in, you know, a port near here, and you could take a cruise without having to. That will increase the the industry, and they've been you know slowly adding capacity to different ports. There you go. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. That's all the time we have for today. But appreciate you joining me, and I'm sure that we will be updating on some of these companies in the near future. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, fools. Austin Morgan is our man behind the glass. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks again for listening. Full on. Mm-hmm.